It's funny. I like to tell people that I didn't go vegan for health. I went vegan for the animals, for compassion, but they do go hand in hand. For me, when I started doing the research on, wow, eating plant-based is so healthy. That's awesome. Because for me, it was a cherry on top. I was going to honestly do it anyway, but it was nice to be like, wow, eating leafy greens, eating whole grains, whole fruits, whole all these things, as opposed to junk food or even dairy products or whatever products with names that you can't pronounce chemicals products is so much worse than eating just what I was gravitating towards. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Thanks for joining me today for another discussion around nutrition and health without compromise. Today, we are going to take you on a journey to talk about plant-based diets and how to healthfully walk the path towards veganism if you so desire. Even as we open this discussion, we'll talk about responsible animal husbandry and some key concepts from vegan leaders, including the New York Times bestseller, Jonathan Safran Foer, who authored some incredible works of fiction and also nonfiction. Joining me for this conversation today is Courtney Garza McCullough. Courtney is the former editor-in-chief and continual contributor to Veg World magazine, She has traveled the world, connecting with people to tell stories of plant-based living, including a recent trip to Greece that we'll also get to dive into today. Courtney is also an accomplished entrepreneur and the co-founder of Sprinkles Creative, a social media management company that exclusively works with sustainable brands. You may recognize her trademark blue hair if you follow her in social spaces with her work as a public figure around a colorful vegan life. Courtney. So glad to have you here. Welcome to the yes, show. Yes, absolutely. So happy. Thank you for that amazing intro. Yes, I'm so excited for all the things that you mentioned to share more about that, especially for what you're doing. I was showing you earlier, but just to say, I haven't got my Orlo. So excited. <laughs> I've been doing it for about a week now and loving it. Well, I love that. I will tell you, it's like each conversation I have about the brand is my opportunity to remind myself it's time to take my omegas. So I just took mine as we started this call too. Fantastic. Now, as we get started, I'd really like to just hear your story about your path to vegetarianism, plant-based lifestyles, and then ultimately to veganism. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun. So to start... I like to tell people that everyone's on their own journey, right? No one should be pointing the finger like, oh, you didn't do it perfect enough because that's silly. Everyone has outside factors that's probably going to hinder them from getting to do something they want to do. And so for me, I like to tell people it took me about six years to go fully vegan after making the decision in my mind that I wanted to go vegan. Even though at the time I was 13, I didn't even know what vegan term was. I just knew that I didn't want to eat animals anymore. But I couldn't go vegan at 13. One, because my parents were buying my food. I was in school. There's all these outside factors that really made it hard for me to stop eating animals completely. And so it wasn't until really college that I was able to go fully vegan because I was out on my own, able to buy my own groceries and whatnot. 
But yeah, I was 13. If anyone's familiar with Texas, that's where I live. So there's a part of Texas called Fort Worth that's very like cattle ranch town. So I have some family that lives out there. So we drove out there as we usually did for family gatherings. And I just saw a bunch of cows on the side of the road. I mean, they're in a faster like grazing. And I'm like, oh, the cows are so cute. I, all I wanted to do was go hug them. And then it dawned on me. Like I didn't watch a documentary. I didn't talk to anyone. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. Wait, why do I want to hug this cow? But also I eat McDonald's meat and cheeseburgers every Friday. I kid you not. It was a tradition between me and my grandma. She'd pick me up from school and we'd go get McDonald's on Fridays. And I would get a double meat and cheeseburger, no lettuce, no onion, just meat and cheese and a bun. And I'm like, that's crazy that I used to eat that every Friday. And for two, it's crazy that I never connected it until that moment that I was like, wait, I wouldn't want to go eat my dog or my cat. And I hug them all the time. So why, what makes a cow different? And so I remember telling my parents and my grandma too, I was like, I can't eat that anymore. And they were like, why would happen? I'm like, it doesn't feel right in my gut, like in my soul, like I just can't. And so I gave up red meat first and then I gave up pork. I mean, I just want to preface too, I'm a foodie. I love food. I love everything about food. My mom used to make this amazing pork roast. And I remember one day she was like, oh, I'm making the pork roast. I'm like, can you not actually? And she was so upset because she was like, it's your favorite. What do you mean? You don't want to eat it anymore? I was like, it's not that I don't like it anymore. I love the flavor, but I don't feel right about it. It feels really like consciously wrong to eat it. And she was just like, okay. So slowly but surely, I weaned off of every type of meat until finally I was down to just fish. And I actually worked at a seafood restaurant for four years as a waitress. Not a fun time. <laughs> I mean, it got me through college, so I'm thankful for it. But when you slip in fish guts, you don't really want to eat fish anymore. But yeah, so that kind of was my wake-up call to going vegan. And also the studies have shown the research, not only about your health benefits of of eating plant-based, but also what happens to animals in slaughterhouses. And so I really didn't need all that information. But of course, I looked into it because to me, as a compassionate, conscious human being, right, I just felt it was wrong. But then using the internet, using documentaries, I was just like, all right, let's get more information on this. Right. And then also I started looking up recipes. My mom never cooked either. So it's not really something we did. We'd usually go out to eat more often than not. My dad's in the restaurant industry. So that's why like we always were eating at his restaurants and whatever. So I finally was like, I should start cooking. <laughs> I should start learning how to make some food at home. And so I did. And that's when I really got into vegan baking. And that's kind of what started my journey. Even though I wasn't vegan, I was like, I want to make stuff without eggs or dairy. And so that was cool. And then finally, in college, if anyone, again, is familiar with Texas, there's a University of North Texas in Denton. They had the very first all vegan cafeteria. We're talking 100%, like no cross-contamination. It's like buffet style vegan. And they opened in 2010. They're known. If you Google Mean Greens at University of North Texas, they are like on the map for being so innovative and just really cool for people, students like me that just wanted that, maybe had an allergy to dairy or something, eggs. It's a thing now. And so yeah. I was very thankful for that. One of the things that I wanted to bring up as I hear you tell this story is that we've even developed language to help disguise where we're getting our foods, right? So cow is beef, pig is pork, right? Right. Chicken, we somehow... It's just what it is. Chicken, we somehow just say, oh, well, it's just a chicken. 
And so people develop less of an emotional attachment to this feathered friend and therefore it becomes okay. But I think as we've developed as a culture, we have less of a direct connection to the food that we're eating, but that also feeds some of the problems, right? Because then when you have less of a direct connection, the conditions that the animal's living in and the way they're treated and even the way they're slaughtered, they matter less because it's out of sight, out of mind. And it's very difficult to become educated on the responsible differences between let's say a regenerative farm that is growing their cattle with mindfulness at the center of how they're farming and that has practices around how the animal is actually butchered, killed, processed in the end so that the animal doesn't experience as much stress throughout their lives. And so it's so difficult, I think, for the average consumer to really look at that and then not feel some sort of direct responsibility. And so they just decide not to look like out of sight, out of mind. There is a regenerative farmer who keeps their cows on the pastures behind my home. And so I overlook a herd of cattle that get rotated between all of these different pastures that are in an undeveloped space. It's an open space preserve that requires rudiments on it. The rudiments, they graze, right? And then they leave Uh behind their poop, which is needed. And then apparently there's a species of beetle that hunts by sight that's protected as a part of the preserve. And so that's why they need rudiments there to graze down enough to keep that bare enough for this beetle to thrive. There's also a couple of species of grass that rely on grazing to remain their most healthy, right? That are native to California and that otherwise would not be able to thrive. And so this open space preserve serves as their home. I see the baby cows as soon as they're out of mama when they're one day old. And I have that same sense of wanting to go up and hug them. I mean, they're just beautiful animals. But what I love about this particular farmer is their commitment to keeping everything as responsible as possible. These are not animals raised on feedlots and local people bond together and say, I want to buy a quarter of a cow or half of a cow Mm -hmm. so that they're getting an animal that in the end has at least led a really good life while it was here. Yeah. Which is much different than the McDonald's hamburgers oh, that you were getting. Oh, 100% different. Yes. <laughs> no doubt about that. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's just like, I think the biggest understanding, like, obviously, there's multiple ways you can look at it. For me, like, in the end, I just don't want anyone to have to suffer. Obviously, who really does? But I think if you educate people on what's going on in factory farms, that's when they start to wake up. And as hard as it is, I mean, I am such a hemophobe, like I don't want to see that stuff. And nobody really likes to, but as hard as it is, the documentaries do help drive the message home of like, we got to change the way our food system is. We got to really wake up because it's messed up. But Mm -hmm. if if there's a local farmers, like you said, that's definitely a better way. Obviously, I would prefer not even going that way. Like just let the cows be dogs, just let them be (laughs) pets of ours. That's my perfect world. But I know everyone's different. But yeah, I mean, in the end, let's just make them actually enjoy life and have a life to live and Mm -hmm. actually have room to graze because they're stuck in such tight quarters in those slaughterhouses. I mean, all of chickens, pigs, cows, all of them. And so it's just like, can we at least get them some room? I was actually on a petition group. I don't know if you've heard of the Humane Society of America, but I joined their group in Boston and we actually petitioned in front of like grocery stores in Boston to get people to sign just to have a ballot on the Boston legislator 
to have chickens to just have cages that allowed them to move around and like stretch out their wings. That seems so minuscule, but it actually is a huge deal because the chicken coops, and well, this is a couple years ago, so the ballot was moved, thank goodness. This was like 2015, but the chicken coops are just so tiny that the chickens can't even spread their wings. That's crazy. And And they're so close together that that they actually clip their beaks off. They burn them off essentially with an iron when they're They're babies to prevent them from pecking each other. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, this is a little far. We need to at least make make some room. So it's baby steps. I'm aware that we have this huge American food system that has been going since what, like the industrial age. So it's like, it's going to take some time to break down those barriers and really educate people on what's going on. But I think we're doing it. We are. I feel like yeah. a lot of education is going out there, especially in the age that we live in now. Everyone's so connected through social media and just all the news sources. So it's happening. It's just going to take some time to rewire people's brains to unfortunately think more compassionately. Sad, but true. <laughs> so as you think about the concept of this show, Nutrition Without yes. Compromising, the ecosystem, your ethics. What does this mean to you? What does this message mean to you? Yeah. So it's funny. I like to tell people that I didn't go vegan for health. I went vegan for the animals, for compassion, but they do go hand in hand. For me, when I started doing the research on, wow, eating plant-based is so healthy. That's awesome. Because for me, it was a cherry on top. I was going to honestly do it anyway, but it was nice to be like, wow, eating leafy greens, eating whole grains, whole fruits, whole all these things as opposed to junk food or even dairy products or whatever products with names that you can't pronounce, chemicals products is so much worse than eating just what I was gravitating towards, which is just like when I went first went vegan, I just ate a ton of veggies and hummus. I loved raw veggies with hummus. Like that was like my go-to thing to eat. When I was first going vegan, I was like, I know this is vegan, so I'm safe. (laughs) When you think about it, that's so good though, because hummus is like beans, chickpeas, so good for you. And then raw veggies, I mean, literally raw veggies, adding any oil or anything to them. Mm -hmm. And so it was great to see the energy I felt. I'll be honest, I've never really struggled with weight gain. So it's just genetics. So it's not like I lost any weight weight. I just looked more like healthy, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I looked more like tone and like energized and just all the things. And people noticed, even though when I went vegan, I was really young still. But it's funny, I actually, I, I have to show you, but I have a picture of me when I was 18. I did hair modeling. I still have crazy hair, obviously. I showed someone recently the picture of me and they're like, why do you look younger than you are back then? I was like, because I wasn't vegan back then. Someone joked and said, I'm regress aging. They're like, you're like aging backwards. I'm like, I know. It's great. Benjamin Button. (laughs) I know. I was like, I'll take it. But it's because I don't have all that stuff in my system. When you explain that earlier diet of the raw veggies and the hummus, eventually you would have ended up deficient in certain things because it doesn't have everything in it. So as you advise people on this plant-based journey or on a trend towards veganism, what would you tell them? How would you like them to get started? I have a friend, I didn't do this, thank goodness I knew, but someone went vegan, they had no idea what they were doing. And they ate quinoa raw. And you're like, no, that's not what you do. (laughs) They will give you a really upset tummy. I know. They were like, I don't know. This is vegan, right? It's like, yes, technically that's vegan, but you're supposed to cook it. But yeah, no, your early days of veganism is just kind of like, you feel like you're in the dark, unless someone is like coaching you or guiding you or you have a friend or something, but I had no one. I was the only vegan in my friend group and my family. So I was just like, 
and this was 2012. So it's just like, there wasn't a ton of information out there at the time. So I was just kind of blindly like, I'm going to eat things that are simple because I don't really know what else is good. There wasn't a lot of vegan cheese or meat back then either. So it was just like kind of new, which is probably good. Well, some of yeah. them are, are meat-like products. And I question whether or not they're as sustainable exactly. even as some of the meat products. That's when you start to thoroughly clear. process a food, I think you lose yeah. some of its benefits along the way. And oh, that yeah. has been proven out in scientific research as well. So it's a question of whether the impossible burger is actually a very good thing or not. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could debate on either side of that equation, I think. Oh, for sure. And I have. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. And that's why when I tell people, when you look going to go to vegan diet, try to look at what you were already eating and just don't try to be like, Oh, now I have to live without that. Think of it more of like, okay, when you're again, I don't think anyone should go vegan cold turkey or what I like to call cold tofu, because <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to just cut something out of your life, especially something that you've been eating literally three times a day for your whole life, or more, whatever. So think about what you really love, the foods that you really love, and then keep those, but then maybe get rid of the things that you don't really love and then supplement them with whole fruits and grains and veggies and leafy greens. Like for me, I always make sure my meals have some kind of greens. All my meals are colorful. If it hasn't already been perceived, I love color. So I love to eat the rainbow as well because I feel good that way. I'm not really a fan of brown foods. Don't get me wrong. I like bread, but it's just like, yeah, it's like not something I eat every day. Grains are great. Rice and quinoa and all these things. I love corn. I know there's a whole conversation about like GMO corn, which I know is a thing. But corn's one of my favorite things when you source it correctly. I once went paleo vegan and it was so terrible. I don't recommend it. Unless you're allergic to grains, don't do it. If paleo vegan just means no grains. So that's no rice, no corn, no flours. It was it was hard. I was dizzy all the time. Don't recommend that. So definitely eat your grains if you're not allergic. And then yeah, fruits and veggies. I think there's been a lot of studies about how many servings of vegetables you need a day. I keep seeing the number like flip flop. So I think it's like four servings or something like that. Well, what um, a serving is varies too by the vegetable. Yeah, and so it gets a little yeah. confusing. Like a serving of kale is a lot of kale to eat because yeah. it takes so much time to chew. But if you yeah. braise it, it becomes much easier to consume. So For you sure. do it like add it to soups, much like you would with a chard. So there's all these things that you can do with vegetables. You just need to kind of yes. open your mind to the creativity of actually adding them to your diet and cooking and integrating them in. Yeah. So, I find I ways to sneak things easiest. in. You mentioned vegan baking. I yeah. mean, you can take pumpkin and yes. use it as the kind of the yes. wet nutrient to bind everything together, right? Instead of the like egg substitute. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh, so good. You pumpkin or banana is great too. I mean, if you're going more of the low glycemic, then I would say pumpkin, obviously. But I think the easiest way or advice I could give is like eat the rainbow, eat colors. That's really what's going to get you to feel great and make sure you have everything. It's like every meal, they have those like pie charts. It's like every meal, you should have a little bit of like a percentage of grains, a percentage of greens, a percentage of fruits or fats or whatever it is. Nuts obviously are great or tahini if you're doing something Mediterranean. That's sesame seeds if you have a nut allergy. I have a lot of friends that are vegan and allergic to nuts, which you would think is impossible. It's not. You can totally have a vegan diet and be allergic to nuts and be safe. There's a lot of substitutes out there. Sunflower seed, butter is awesome. There's so many things. So I think that hopefully that helps is just eat the rainbow, yeah. eat all the colors. So the question was, just to refocus us, what would you say to somebody who's considering going vegan or vegetarian, but is concerned about not getting enough protein? How do you get yours? How do you make sure that you get enough protein in your diet? 
Yes. Yeah. So I love to tell people this because it's still the question. People are still asking, of course. Me and my husband, I don't want to say we're bodybuilders because it's not like we're going out and doing like bodybuilding shows. I mean, no hate on that. I think it's fun. I have a lot of friends that do that, but I don't think I'll ever do it. But I love fitness. I am a runner. I'm a swimmer. I'm a yogi. I'm actually in the process. I have a month left of getting my yoga teacher certification course done. So I'm about to be certified yoga teacher. That's exciting. But I also lift weights. My husband is teaching me jujitsu. He's actually been doing martial arts since he was like 10, I think. And he is actually an action stuntman for movies. So, and he's been vegan seven years. So we love this question because it's like, we're active people. We're definitely not sitting on the couch or sitting around. Like we are always out and about being very energy pulling. And so we need to refill our bodies with protein because we like to see muscle on our bones. We love to see the strength that we have from it. So in order to do that, you have to have protein for sure. If you want to see any growth, especially aesthetically, if you're looking for that for him, he is because he does action movies. But yeah, so it's going to vary for everyone. I think the American standard is kind of out of whack of how much protein they say you need. But obviously, everybody has a different body shape, body form, genetics, yada, yada. But for me, like I'm five, six, and I weigh about 110 currently. And so for me, like I've always been a smaller person, and my whole family has. So it's like, I think what my husband said was like point eight grams of protein per your weight, per your height. Like there's a formula that you kind of type in, but it always depends on your goals too. So I would advise if you're not a bodybuilder or you're not a big fitness person, then you don't need as much protein as I'm getting because I'm so active or he's so active. And also if you're a male or female, or if you identify as male or female, then you're going to need a different type of protein too. It's like America for some reason has this like blanket, like everybody needs the same amount of protein. That's not true. Like what? Everybody has a different body. So for me, what we love is we use protein powder supplements. So I swear by them. I'm actually a huge fan, but I have friends that hate the chalkiness of it or like hate the texture of it. And to each their own, if you don't like protein powder supplements, which there are so many vegan ones out there, which by the way, it's pea protein based. Those are the ones we prefer. There is soy, like isolate. We're not really huge on that. We prefer pea protein. There's a new brand out there that has a vegan whey, which it kind of creeps me out, but I've tried it. And it's basically kind of like the impossible model where they like synthesize like the same genetic makeup of whey or like meat like products like the cow like the dairy because if you look at bodybuilders they're mostly eating like whey products and that's all dairy which we're not obviously consuming that but pea protein protein powders and then tempeh is the highest source of vegan i guess you can call it an alternative meat even though like japanese and chinese people have been eating it for centuries tempeh is fermented soy so it is soy. So if you have an allergy to soy, probably not good for you. I mean, definitely not good for you, but it's fermented soy. So it's got a higher protein count than just like a block of tofu. And then there's seitan. I'm sorry, seitan is the highest. I got it backwards. Seitan is the highest and then there's tempeh. So seitan is not gluten-free. It's purely gluten. So if you have a gluten allergy, don't eat that. It's literally just gluten. We've made our own before. There's a certain type of flour that you can buy and you can put it in your what's it called? Pressure cooker. And you can make your own and it comes out looking like a brain. Honestly, it looks like a giant brain, but you can cut it up and it's supposed to be like a meat substitute, but it's not 
like bread. People hear like, oh, it's gluten. So you're eating bread. I'm like, no, it's not bread. It's like a high protein source and it's almost squishy. You can season it however you want to flavor it. You can marinate it. I mean, it acts just like a tofu in a way, but almost like a spongier tofu, if that makes sense. We eat a lot of that. I'm not gluten-free and neither is he, but we don't eat a ton of gluten. So we're not eating the seitan necessarily every day, but it's definitely a good alternative. And then I will say, since I write for Veg World, and also I'm a vegan influencer, I do get sent a lot of like vegan meat products. Currently, I'm working with a vegan chicken brand to do some content creation. And their stuff is made out of wheat, gluten, and pea protein. So it's like a hybrid combo. And it's very high in protein. Like one vegan chicken cutlet is 20 grams of protein, for example. And so I'll eat one of those for dinner with some veggies. And that's great. And again, like I'm not a total like anti-vegan meat person. It just depends on what's in it. If it's a bunch of like synthetic stuff or stuff that I can't pronounce, maybe I'll pass. But this particular brand I love, I use it a lot and I'm glad to be working with them. And then also a lot of vegan or veg world stories, I get sent products because they want us to write a review, right? So I will try them. My thing is, if it's vegan, I'll try it because trying it once isn't going to kill me. Um, It seems like you don't have any food sensitivities. So you're lucky in that way. I have a son who's sensitive to soy. And so we can't necessarily cook with that in the house. And we'll see if he grows out of that. He's four and they often will grow out of food sensitivities. So. We'll see what happens there. I do want to talk about your recent trip to Greece. Oh, and yeah, so course. let me position this because I have traveled the world myself and I did travel the world with an old boyfriend who was a vegetarian and found a difficulty in some cases and even yeah. finding spots where he could eat a meal that was vegetarian and definitely not vegan in those cases. In fact, I have another example that I'll pull up because I I just think that this is an incredible story too. Jonathan Safran Foer, he wrote the book, Everything is Illuminated. He is a incredible award-winning author who hit the stage really quickly in his early 20s. And that book itself, Everything is Illuminated, ended up being a film where Elijah Wood plays the main character. Yeah, he tells the story of integrating a trip to the Ukraine, being right. with a family member and explaining that he was vegetarian and they didn't know what to do with that and literally gave him a potato for his whole meal oh. because they didn't have anything else in the house to provide him. And it was just so yeah. much a conflict with their culture. Like what? You don't know dairy and, and no meat? And how do you live? Like it was a curiosity <laughs> to them as if he could almost be in a freak show. So I think that that has been in the past, like even just go back 15, 20 years, oh, yeah. a lot of the reality in many places throughout Eastern Europe and even some of the mainland Europe. And no, I no. would love to learn from you what it's like today and what your experience is when you travel, how easy it is to eat vegan. What's the state of the industry there? Yeah. So I will preface, I do have my degree in journalism. So any travel, especially with the age of Google now, I mean, everybody can do this, but any travel I take, I, I go like journalism mode on. I research the heck out of it. I look up, I reach out to people. So usually when I travel, I am writing an article for Veg World. So for example, Greece was like, we call it our destination spotlight. So it's vegan travel guide, if anything. It's not a blog because we are an actual like magazine. Yeah, every issue we have a destination spotlight. And so this one happened to be one of those. So I've been planning this trip. I just got back 
a week and a half ago, but I've been planning this trip for months and months. And so I was very fortunate to reach out to the vegan restaurants or the restaurants with a vegan menu and be like, hey, just letting you know, I'm coming. I'm going to write an article on you. I'd love to interview you or whatever. And just really talk about how cool it is that you're in this country, this culture that may not be so keen on vegan, but you have these vegan options. And so they were really excited to have that opportunity to talk about the unique placement they're in. And so if anything, I was stuffed on this trip. There were so many places. And the cool part was you'd be very impressed with this. I ate whole foods plant-based. I didn't eat any faux meats. I don't even think we had any tofu. I mean, everything was so fresh and vibrant and just beautiful because the food was locally produced. It was just every, like, I had some of the best tomatoes I think I've ever had in my life because the lady literally made them on her roof. Like so cool. Yeah, no, we loved it. Obviously, when you think of Greek food, it's Mediterranean. You got your hummus, which I was happy about, obviously. Love of my life, as I call it. Lots of vegetables. We had lots of pita. So I will say, I was thinking about this while I was there. If someone's gluten-free, it would be kind of hard because we did eat a lot of bread. A lot of pita, a lot of stuff like that. The types of lavish bread that they made. But we ate a lot of stuff that was gluten-free too. Um, lots of eggplants, tomatoes, kind of stuff like that. I'm sure if you think of any Greek food or Mediterranean food you've had, that's what it was. But like in abundance, like we had dolmas. If you guys know what dolmas is, it's like rice wrapped with a banana leaf and so good. Lots of flavor in there and then stuff like that. So very green heavy, Very lots of greens, lots of reds and browns, but I had no problem. We stayed at an all vegan hotel. So that means it was basically a bed and breakfast because we woke up with her knocking on the door, bringing us breakfast to our room. I mean, she made these tahini walnut crepes. She made, what else? Like a vegan carrot cake is my husband's birthday. So she made a carrot cake, but she didn't put icing on it. So it was more like zucchini cake, if that makes sense. Like a zucchini bread. It was kind of like that. So it was more like shreds of carrots and stuff and walnuts. But everything was just so pure. I just loved how everything was just like, wow, we never felt like too heavy or like lethargic after eating a big meal because it was just the most clean and fresh organic produce. So no problem navigating that. Again, I do advise people if they're going to go to another country, just do your research. I think the worst thing you could do is going and being like, I'll find something. It might be a little hard because of the language barrier, but also navigating. So just maybe set reservations for places like do your research. That's what I did. We had everything planned to a T. I'm kind of like a type A personality when it comes to traveling. I'm like, we got to make sure it's all set. And also it was a work trip, basically. So I made sure that we were covered. So I'm so thankful that Greece has evolved, I guess you could say, in the last couple of years. And they even said that. The interviews that I've had with the restaurant owners, they said that it's really innovated in the last like five, 10 years. And it wasn't used to be that way. If anyone's seen that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you probably know that it's they're very meat heavy. They eat a lot of lamb, which is sad to me. But they're yeah, they eat a lot of meat. But I never, I had no problems eating vegan. So that's good. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a culture that's steeped in tradition. You mentioned earlier in our conversation that tradition that you had with your grandma going to McDonald's every Friday. And I think (laughs) that that's one of the hardest things about people changing their diet. I mean, even if it is, let's say somebody's gluten sensitive or they have a health condition that makes it harder for them to consume gluten. I'm thinking of an example of somebody who's a personal friend and also an influencer. Her name is Diane V. Capaldi. She goes by V, right? And she had to say goodbye to gluten entirely. 
as somebody who is a Capaldi, you're coming from the, the oh, Mediterranean wow. world. I'm a Belizzi, so I understand this too. Yes. Saying goodbye to pasta itself is something that is seen as threatening to the familial yeah. culture in a way. Oh, and so yeah. I think we confront this anytime that we make choices that go against your family is used to. And that has only kind of exploded up when you talk about an entire culture. So I wanted to talk for a moment about the pendulum swing that I think sometimes occurs when we have extremes, right? So some people consider veganism to be a real extreme on one end of the equation. And recently I started to learn about something called the carnivore diet. All At right. first I thought it was a joke. Okay. I'm like, people can't be subsisting on only meat, right? There's a couple of podcasts out there. So I was listening to them and trying to really get a grasp of what they were talking about. Ultimately, I was surprised to learn that a few MDs are really pushing this diet and even have their own podcasts where they will talk about the benefits of going carnivore. Now, it turns out that carnivore isn't purely just meat. It's meat, dairy, cheeses, yogurts, right? So all the dairy, it's also honey and fruit. And so they get their fiber from fruit, but not vegetables. And the reason they're getting their fiber from fruit and not vegetables has to do with what they are purporting to be the compounds that plants create to ward off pests, right? right? And so therefore, their argument, I think, centers around this concept that if you consume plants, there's going to be some sort of an inflammatory response within your body to those fibers and to the compounds in those plants because they have these compounds that are essentially meant to ward off pests. Mm. Now, I've never heard of a doctor up to this point (laughs) recommending people never eat plants, but the meat, to be a little punny here, of this (laughs) entire pitch seems to be to help people restore metabolic health. Right. And I guess I get it. I guess I get if you're going to be someone who thrives in an extreme. Like some people literally, if you say, here's the controlled doctrine, do this and you will get better, then they will follow that path and they'll see results. Now, I can't imagine that a diet like this is actually healthy over the long, long term. They're making suggestions along the lines of high cholesterol doesn't need to be a bad thing if you're eating this way. And all these markers that we know to actually be indicative of heart health issues. So I have a lot of questions as I look at this diet, but I've even seen people who have supposedly had a carnivore diet for 13 years interviewed on camera and they look healthy and maybe they're telling the truth, but the skeptic wires on me are way up. So I guess I'm positioning all of this to get your thoughts about this rise of a carnivore diet and how you might talk to people who might be considering something like that. So I didn't mention when you were asking about the protein stuff and it just hit me as you were saying that, I'm like, oh, I forgot to mention that plants have protein. Broccoli has tons of protein. I mean, grains, of course, quinoa, like I said, brown rice, amazing, amazing source of protein. I mean, pretty much every vegetable does. And yeah, maybe lesser than the other things I mentioned, like protein powders or tempeh or tofu or seitan. Like, yeah, those have more protein. But if you're trying to avoid all that and you just want to eat plants, you totally can. There's tons of protein in there. So that's why it's kind of baffling to me to hear you say that they're not eating any plants. 
That makes me so sad. I mean, even only fruit. I mean, the fruit of plants because the fruit is meant to be consumed by animals to disperse seeds. Like that's their thinking. Like you can eat berries. I'm guessing you could eat tomatoes. I'm guessing you could also eat avocado avocado, because these things are probably technically in the fruit space, but they may even advise not to eat tomatoes because there's this controversy over lectins and tomatoes and whether or not that's healthy. So they Honestly, I think they probably recommend no tomatoes as well. No. So it'd be really impossible for an Italian. Yeah, I was going to say, oh no, that's all of the sauce. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would say with anything, again, you could Google this, but there are so many fad diets that come and go just forever. In the dawn of time, I feel like there's been fad diets. What was the big one that was really big? Keto, pretty big. But I remember Mm -hmm. when it rose. Do you remember when things, everything was gluten-free for a while. Everyone's like, gluten-free makes you lose weight. Not necessarily. Mostly for people that actually had a gluten intolerance or celiac. And then keto rose to power. Paleo was a big thing for a while. It's not as much. Like I feel like I don't hear about it as much as I used to. And then keto is just so sad. I mean, we all have read the research of what actually keto helps with. It's like if you have cancer or you're trying to get over some big you illness. You starve your like body that. of sugars, then you can yeah. get over some some challenges. But yes, I tend to agree with you that it's not meant for a long term dietary It sounds like situation. Keto situation. Yeah. Like what you said. Mm-hmm. It sounds like hey, maybe this really works for someone that has like a serious cancer fight they've got to go through. And that's great. It seems like that's always meant to be temporary though, not long-term. But if you don't have that, if you don't have some illness, then why would you put your body through that when you're just going to gain all the weight back or you're going to probably cause some new issues in your body because you did that. So to me, it's just like, don't even start. Ask yourself, why are you doing this? That's yeah, you can achieve a lot of the same results just by doing intermittent fasting and For sure. ultimately just having a sustained workout or getting more active. I mean, there's all sorts of yes. things you can do to send your body into ketosis as well. So yeah, your brain needs sugars. That's oh real gosh. too. Your and brain needs carbs too. That's right. Okay. So as we recenter this conversation, I want to go back to a moment for a suggestion that also comes from Jonathan Safran Four. He advises people to consider taking a different approach to eating because he also acknowledges that vegetarianism might be too hard for some people, that it's a journey and that we eat multiple times a day. Yeah, And so in his book, We Are the Weather, Saving the Planet Begins at Breakfast, which was published in 2019, he advises people to simply not consume animal products, being vegan, right? Don't consume animal products before dinner. And so if that erased two or three meals from your day of actually consuming animal products, that would have a much broader impact on the environment. This was also released as a essay within Paul Hawkins' book, Regeneration, Ending the Climate Crisis in One Generation. And Courtney, I know that you will love this picture, so I'm going to hold it up for those watching on YouTube. But if you flip to his article here, you see a picture of a beautiful Black Angus baby cow. And so it's just, I think, a really nice way to think about consuming things differently, even if you aren't ready to do something as simple as going vegetarian or vegan. But you see that beautiful cow? Such a sweet face. A sweet little face. Yeah. So yeah, what are your thoughts about doing something like that as a step towards change? I've heard similar concepts like raw till four, 
or something like that. Like, for example, like you eat raw foods, like not necessarily a juice fast, but something like that, where it's like eating fresh fruit and vegetables that aren't cooked or seasoned or sauteed in oil or something. And then but at dinner, you can eat your normal stuff that you would eat. So yeah, I've heard similar stuff. And there's no doubt that's a huge impact on so many things, your health, the environment, animal consumption, animal welfare. I mean, I think that's great. Because as anybody knows, we really petition with our money. How many dairy or meat products are we buying? And if the numbers go down in the grocery store, then that's when people start to notice, oh, more people are looking for plant-based or more people are looking for dairy-free or whatever it is, gluten-free, all the things, all the data shows with our buying power. And so if you're really like, I can't dedicate my whole three meals or however much you eat in a day, then cool. Two out of three is awesome. More than great. Even one meal. I mean, I've seen so much data around people just doing like one vegan meal and that could be lunch, dinner, breakfast, whatever you can do you think is best. And that still has a lot of impact. So I really love that idea. Do what you can figure out your journey. Because one thing that I've seen in my almost 10 years of being vegan is, man, I cannot understand the people that shove veganism down people's throats. It just seems too aggressive and abrasive. And it's like, nobody wants a finger waving in their face saying, you're doing it wrong. Nobody wants that. We're all human. We want to be coddled and maybe just get guided. Tell me more. Guide me as a teacher. Don't yell at me. So for me, it's like, I didn't go vegan overnight. I took me years. And now I would never turn back. I would never change. And so I think that all depends on your situation because everyone obviously has a different setup for their lives. So I think sit down with yourself, make notes, take everything into stock and say, okay, this is what I can do. I can do breakfast. Cool. No meat or dairy at breakfast. Done. I'm going to try that for a month, see how it goes. And maybe I'll up that to lunch too. I think that's such a cool idea. I mean, he's definitely got a good plan there. Well, I love it. I did recently, as a result of that suggestion, shift away from consuming milk at all. Because the one place that I continued to drink milk was in my coffee every morning. Of course. And so I've transitioned to oat milk. I actually love it in my coffee now. And the other thing that I will just share with everybody, I was happy that I made that change because I learned in reviewing Dr. William Lee's work with Eat to Beat Disease, that milk actually inhibits the chlorogenic acid, which is in the coffee. And the chlorogenic acid in the coffee is very health promoting. And so you get the benefits of coffee as long as you do not put milk in it. And so for those dairy drinkers out there, consider a shift if you have coffee to not having any milk in it at all or to using a plant-based milk. So that could be one step in the right direction. I am closer to the no animal products before dinner as a result, but I will admit I still buy eggs from my local farmer's market. I love them. They have pictures of all their chickens up in the the I have a conversation about that all the time. Yeah. Again, the fact that you're looking into where they're sourced from is mm-hmm. huge. That's amazing that you do that. Because like you said earlier in the conversation, most people are out of sight, out of mind. So the right. fact that you're like, wait, let me think about this. What can I actually do to be better? That's great. Yeah, and I may pay 8 to $10 for a carton yeah. of eggs. But you know what? I'm getting it from a local producer who literally has named every single chicken that they have. Mm-hmm. They have pictures of them in their booth at the farmer's market, which is purely adorable, right? Yes. And 
these right. chickens lead great lives. So Good. I feel okay about that. And that's my animal product exception during the day. I do have young boys. And as I mentioned earlier, one of them is sensitive to soy. And so we still do rely on responsibly sourced animal right. protein. And that's the thing that I would advise people to move towards. If you're not ready to go vegan or vegetarian, really think about the source of your foods and make mm -hmm. some changes to get foods that are of high quality, animals that are treated well. And ultimately, I think that would be a positive choice for everybody out there because you'll feel better about the decisions you're making. And honestly, yeah. the food will be healthier too. Yes. Win-win across the board, the planet, the animals, your health. Yes. Three exactly. main things you're helping. It's awesome. So if you could leave our audience with one message today, what would it be? Oh, that's hard. I would say, again, I feel like my theme throughout this whole thing has been figure out your journey and then stick to it. Don't let anyone else dictate what you need to do or should do. That's always the scary word. It's should. It's like, I should be doing what? Figure out what it, what's right for you. I feel like everyone has intuition in their gut of like, okay, this feels right or this feels wrong. Then follow that. And then you'll ultimately figure out what's the best thing for your health in your lifestyle. I agree with that completely wholeheartedly because I feel like health, it's a lifelong journey. We oh, learn yeah. along the way and what works for us today may shift tomorrow too. And so just, you for know, sure. keep your headset on and commitment to learn, stay curious. Yes, and ultimately definitely. you will produce better outcomes in your health by really listening to your body and what you need and what feels right to you as well. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to be sure to include links to everything that we talked about today, including the books mentioned, Jonathan yes. Safran Foer's work, Veg World, and I also want to be sure to include that link to the article on Greece. Yay! So has that awesome. been published yet? No, it hasn't been written yet, but I did just get one out about Canada, how to be vegan in Vancouver. So I just got back from Canada as well, and that was a fun journey. So I do have a link for that one, though. I can send yes. you. Like I said, I travel a lot, and my purpose for traveling is to show how easy it is to be vegan in different cultures. And I've never been to Canada my first time and it was wow. really cool. Well, that's perfect. So yeah. send me links. I'll include them with show notes so everyone Great. has access. I would also love to ask you for a recipe of your favorite Ooh. hummus if you have one that you make. Oh, I do. I do. Yes. Yeah. I, I actually, another thing that, and again, this is just my journey. I don't eat a lot of oil, not fully oil-free, but I do cook oil-free. So my hummus recipes are oil-free oh. and they're still really good. So you don't really need oil. Yeah. It makes it more liquidy, but if anybody knows about tahini or even aquafaba, that's like the game changer. So I'll send you right. that recipe. It's so awesome. Beautiful. So I can include that on our blog post around this and people can make their own hummus. I make one that's tahini free because oh, I cool. actually oh, yeah. prefer more of the garbanzo and lime. And I Ooh, use a lot of cayenne pepper and perhaps more than most people do, but I just right. love my hummus spicy. So Same. this is my daily meal, my treats. I call it my treat because I love sourdough bread, but I don't eat Ooh. very much bread at all. Yeah. And I take a slice of sourdough bread and I toast oh. it. I put avocado on the bread, my hummus that I make, and wow. then the fried egg that I make. And the yeah. egg is fried and just, I mean, it's in like a ceramic pan, so it doesn't need <laughs> a lot. And so it's yeah. just a tiny bit of oil. And I use coconut oil for that because it can withstand high heat. Yeah. And literally, it's incredible. It's one of the most delectable oh, yeah. things. I do actually add uh, like lime salt on top and my Ooh. favorite hot sauce, which is tapatio. Oh, it's the best. So all of those things together. I know it's not dessert. It's all savory, right? Oh, yeah. But it's like as an impactful, as a nice hey, treat each day would be a sweet for me. person. 
So I totally get that. No, I love that. Again, that's your journey. You got to find the things that make you happy. So I totally understand. The love of my life is popcorn. I usually make popcorn on the stove kettle. Um, I have one of those like old timey machines that we got for our wedding present. And popcorn, for some reason, is my favorite thing in the world. And it's I like it savory. I put nutritional yeast on top to make it like cheesy popcorn. And it's the best. So yeah, I, I do that for my kids. Cheap. We have an air popper. And so Ooh, I go that yes. route because I like to not cook it with oil too. Yeah. I imagine that you're not using oil for that. Yeah. Well, that's great. Awesome. Well, we got to talk about food too. So I love Yay. that. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. And I just realized I do have a video that I shot on all the things I ate in Greece. So I will send you that link because that is posted. Beautiful. So people can see the visuals and then I'll have the article later. So I'll send you that too. So hopefully people will like it. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. To learn even more, visit orlonutrition.com for our complete blog related to this episode, including features that you won't find in the show notes or anywhere else. I'm going to include those recipes so you have some tools in your hands to go ahead and get started on a different sort of hummus using Courtney's perspective. Thank you for joining us today on this journey. If you have questions for me or for Courtney, please feel free to send an email note directly to hello at orlonutrition.com. As we close today's show, I hope that you'll raise a cup with me as I say my parting words. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or. 